well, uh, 10 years ago, an extraordinary encounter happened in Belfast. Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth, while visiting, she met the former Deputy First Minister of Northern Ireland, the late Martin McGuinness. Well, the cameras flashed as Her Majesty put out her hand and shook his hand. It made headlines all around the world. Well, for those of you of a certain age in the room, you'll remember that Martin McGuinness was one of the commanders of the terrorist group, the IRA. He was the very man, in fact, who was in charge of the IRA unit that had killed the Queen's very own cousin, Lord Louis Mountbatten, as well as killing three others, two of which were children. You might have seen the episode depicted on Netflix, The Crown. So here is Her Majesty meeting the man who's why I believe gave the order for her cousin to be killed. And she is shaking his hand. It's an extraordinary encounter. She was shaking the hand of someone who was despised by so many due to all these terrorist atrocities. But she stretched out that hand in offer of peace and reconciliation. Well, in our passage today, we likewise read of royalty, meeting with somebody greatly despised. We read of none other than Jesus Christ, the Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, God in the flesh, meeting a most despised Samaritan woman. And he offers his hand for eternal peace and reconciliation. Our first heading this morning for the new takers amongst us is Jesus has come for the outcast. Jesus has come for the outcast. So Jesus, as we've seen, he's been on a long journey. He's tired, he's hungry, he's weary. And his disciples are hungry as well. They go off to get some food in nearby Greg's or somewhere. And Jesus, well, being thirsty, he then goes to the local well. And there he meets this woman from Samaria. Verse 7, he asks her, give me a drink. Verse 9, she is shocked by this request. Why is it that you, a Jew, Ask for me, a drink, a woman, a woman of Samaria. Well, her shock at this is partly answered for us, for, uh, for John. I love John's little comments. He pids in, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. You see, in those days, the view that Jews would have had was that this Samaritan woman was from the wrong race. For you see, centuries before the, uh, the big bad boy superpower of the day, they were called the Assyrians. And they had invaded the northern part of Israel. And you can read about that for yourself in two kings. And what the Assyrians did was they took a load of people captive, took them back with them. And then those people intermarried while there and then came back to Samaria. And also the Assyrians planted people from different parts of the world there in Samaria as well. So they're all kind of intermarried. And so thus the result 400 odd years later was the Samaritans were now like a right mixed bag of dolly mixtures. They were a blend of worshipping the one true God, but they also had all these pagan idolatry beliefs and all these other different beliefs. It was a mixed match what they believed. So for the religious pure Jew, well, they absolutely hated the Samaritans. They despised them. They disliked them so much that when Jews were traveling from Judea to Galilee in the north, they would avoid Samaria. They would go the long route around. They just wouldn't go anywhere near them. I forget, you know, keep two meters apart. They just would keep apart all the time. Now, a question for us. Have you ever avoided someone? Have you perhaps even this week avoided that person in the staff room? Perhaps avoided that colleague? Have you ever walked a long way round so you didn't have to talk to that neighbor? 
Have you avoided that family member at the wedding? Well, for Jesus here, there is no avoiding this woman. On his journey from south to north, he goes directly through Samaria. Now, not only is Jesus talking to a despised Samaritan, but he's actually talking to a Samaritan woman. Now, in that culture, a man would never talk to a woman in public like this, not like that way, particularly men who were rabbis, teachers. This was very, very much frowned upon in that culture. And furthermore, here was a woman who had been despised in her own community, having been married five times, now with a sixth man, not her husband. Other women in the town would have been you know, gossiping about her. Some women in the town would have perhaps seen her as a danger to their own marriages. You know, here's a woman in a small Silksworth community who would have been regarded by everyone as a real sinner. She was very much the outcast of her day. She was avoided by all. But yet look at verse 4 again. It says Jesus had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass through Samaria. What John our writer is doing by saying that is he's bringing to our attention that Jesus is being obedient to his father. Jesus knows he has a divine appointment with this woman. For Jesus desires to make his gospel known to all people, no matter who they are or where they are from. For he's come not only as the savior of the Jews, but as the one and only savior of the world. He's come to reach the outcasts. Well, Jesus, in approaching her, reaching out to her, was breaking down all these cultural, social barriers of his day. And I wonder what cultural or social barriers are keeping us apart from certain people around us. What barriers have we ourselves erected around us to keep us apart from other people? How do we view those people around us here in Sunday? Our neighbors, our colleagues, the asylum seekers coming into Sunday, the Bangladeshi community in Sunday, the students in Sunday, the Mormons, the Jehovah's Witnesses and the like. Are we avoiding any of those people due to their religious beliefs, due to their social status and their background, due to them being unbelievers? Well, Jesus' encounter with this woman reminds us that all people, no matter who they are, are precious to him, for he goes to the outcast. He goes seeking to reach them. Now, are we as disciples of Christ following in his footsteps? Here's a really sad fact for you. The Evangelicals Now paper published a couple of years ago an article that 80% of church goers in England have a university degree. 80% in England who attend church have a university degree. Yet, only 30% of the population of England have a university degree. So what does that say about our churches? What does that say about our church culture? What does it say about our evangelism? What does that say about who are we spending our time with and who perhaps we're maybe even avoiding? Christ has come to break down the barriers, to reach all types of people from all types of backgrounds. I'm reminded of a lady at my church. She came to a drop-in morning at our church for people in recovery from, from drug and alcohol addiction. And we give them free Greggs and we have a chat with them. And one week I was chatting to this, this lady, a drug addict, and she said to me, you know, I said to her, would you like to come along to church? And she said, oh, my type. My type, James, would not fit in at the church. I said, what do you mean your type? She said, well, come on. I'm a recovery from you know, drug addiction. You know, you lot of church, 
You're all so prim and so proper and, you know, so holy. And, you know, I would just never fit in. Well, I, I thought to myself, I wondered, what, how does she come to think that? How does she come to imagine that, that she wouldn't be welcomed? How, how does she come to think that? What images have churches perhaps in the past or Christians in the past projected to her that would have made her think that she would have not have been welcome to come along? I told her she would be. I told her, come along, you are going to fit in with us. I can tell you now, we're a group of messy people, outcast sinners, but now forgiven in Christ. Come along. She came that Sunday and praise God, Two, three years later, she hasn't stopped coming. She came to saving faith. Christ has come for the outcast. As Christians, we do need to get to work casting down all these barriers that are keeping us apart from certain types of people. So we, as Christians, we do need to ask ourselves afresh, each of us, why do we avoid that person in the office, that neighbor, those types, those types of peoples? Why do we avoid them? What is preventing us from praying for them regularly, being eager to know them, befriend them, and sharing the truth of Christ's wonderful gospel with them? For Jesus, we always need to remember, he has come for the outcast. And he's come to offer eternal satisfaction. That's our second heading. So Jesus, he's challenged this really shocked Samaritan woman. And Jesus said, you know, if you really knew who I was, actually, you'd be asking me for water. If I can give you real water, not just physical to quench your thirst, but satisfying you deeply forever, I can offer you living water. Look with me at verses 13 to 14. So he says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. That's the water from the well. Now that's obvious. You drink a bit and then a little while later you get thirsty, so you need to come again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water willing up eternal life. Now, whether we realize it or not, our friends, our families, those around us who do not know Jesus, they are just like this woman at the well. They're thirsty, spiritually speaking. They're trying to quench this thirst that they have. And we get a pretty good idea what this woman has been looking to to satisfy her thirst. It's relationships, sex and marriage. And there are many people today that live for sex and relationships. They do so because they think this is what's going to satisfy them forever. If only I can find that guy, that girl. It's the Hollywood movie, you know, the rom-com with Julia Roberts, Matthew McConaughey, something like that. You know, once I meet the one, then I'll be totally, eternally satisfied, happy ever after. Well, marriage and sex, of course, within marriage of man and woman are a gift from God, but they will never ultimately satisfy this deep thirst within. Now, just picture this woman. She's coming every day to the well to get her water, but then she would leave with the bucket full, but then she'd return the bucket empty, always returning empty. See, our non-Christian friends, they will feel an emptiness within, and they keep trying to quench that first time and time again of all sorts, but it never does truly satisfy. For some, it's money. Others are looking to the water of career to satisfy their first. Once I get that job, once I get that promotion, then I'll be satisfied. Once I move away from Silksworth, once I go and get myself a big house, then I'll be satisfied. Once I get dot, 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 I'll be satisfied. Think of those thousands of football fans who go to the stadium of light. I go there myself. I enjoy the footy. But many, many go along to seek satisfaction in football. They're seeking satisfaction in, in these footballers, some of whom are so bad they can't even get into the Northern Northern football team. They're seeking satisfaction 
in them. But like that water at the well, things may well uh, satisfy the first for a while, but soon enough they'll be thirsty again, looking for another job, another promotion, another career change. The first will always be there. Well, I'm sure you've heard about the popular TV show called Love Island. Now I'm going to be honest with you. I have never seen an episode of Love Island. I've never watched it. I'm a bit snobby with stuff like that. It's not my cup of tea. I've not watched it. But I was reading, reading a while ago, that one contestant on Love Island, she had spent £36,000 on her cosmetic surgery to get her looking the way she does. £36,000. Was she satisfied? No. She said in the article that she thinks she needs some more. Now, in the article, it said cosmetic surgeons, they actually call this the Love Island effect. That every time Love Island's on their TV, their business actually triples. Cosmetic surgeons' business triples in clients. Girls and guys watching the show thinking, I need to look like that. I need to remove this. I need to have that. I need to look like that to be totally satisfied. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, our colleagues, they're all desperately thirsty. And they're looking to quench this first with the football, with money, sex, relationships, cosmetic surgery, all sorts of things. Yet the Bible teaches us that the reason that they first with them is because they've turned away from God. We're not just physical beings, but we're spiritual as well. And spiritually, we are thirsty. But Christ, he's come to offer what we really truly need, the eternal living water, which truly satisfies. Jesus says that the water that I will give you will become a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. Jesus said, I can give you something that will truly satisfy your greatest need. In short, he is offering this woman what our souls cry out for. He's offering to quench that deep thirst to know God and be restored to a right relationship with him. No longer an outcast. And I suspect if you stop people in the street today and you asked or asked your non-Christian friends, what's humanity's greatest need right now? And well, many including you, Greta Thunberg, they'd say, oh, it's combating climate change. It's saving the planet. We've got to save the planet. Others, you know, Chris Whitty and so on, they'd say, oh, defeating COVID. We've got to defeat COVID. Well, no, humanity's greatest need is to recognize that we've all turned away from God. We're all actually born naturally outcasts due to our sin. Because of that, we are then spiritually thirsty and cut off from God. Now, I don't know everybody here today, but if you're here today and you're not a Christian or listening to this recording, please recognize your greatest need. It doesn't matter who you are. It really doesn't matter your background or it doesn't matter what you've done in life. It does not matter. Christ, he holds out his pierced, hold hands to offer you eternal, satisfying, never-ending joy and life in him. You would be really foolish not to take his hand and accept his offer. For that's the greatest need you have, to quench that first of eternal peace and reconciliation with God. Now, maybe for those of us who are already Christian today, you might know all this, but in recent times, other things have kind of crowded into your life, and you've now found yourself actually seeking satisfaction in the job, in the football, in career, in love, and all that. Well, if that's the case, a good thing to do would be to echo the prayer of King David back in Psalm 51. It's a short prayer. It's an honest prayer. David prays out, Lord, return to me the joy of salvation. Return to me the joy of salvation. Pray to him to help you see 
with fresh eyes that the things of this world won't never truly satisfy. Pray to God to help you see with fresh eyes that Christ is all that you need for eternal satisfaction. So, we've seen then Jesus, he has come for the outcast, come to offer eternal satisfaction. On our third heading, so lift up your eyes for it's harvest time. Lift up your eyes, it's harvest time. So in verses 16 to 17, Jesus continues this conversation with the woman at the well. In short, he's sharing with her who he really is because even the Samaritans were awaiting the Messiah to come. And he's explaining to her that I am not, I am not one. And as this is happening, well, the disciples, remember then, they return. They, uh, they, were, they ran off to get some food at the local Greggs. And they've returned with their Greggs, vegan sausage rolls, no doubt. And they see Jesus, you know, talking to this woman. Verse 27b, they marveled. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. A woman, but uh, they couldn't believe it. And it says there, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? Now, they would have been good questions for the disciples to have asked, but they didn't. They just stood there, dumbfounded, horrified. He's talking to a Samaritan, a Samaritan woman. And they should have been, you know, finding out from Jesus, why, why is he talking to her? But they just stood there, preoccupied, stuffing themselves with their sausage rolls. Well, the woman, on the other hand, She's left now her water jar, notice. She's not preoccupied with that anymore. She runs home, telling everyone about Jesus, what he's been saying to her. And soon enough, this big crowd of Samaritans, they come rushing as well to meet with him. What a scene that must have been. All these people coming, wanting to meet with Jesus, eager to see if he's the Christ, eager to hear what he has to say. I'm sure the disciples at this point got really excited at this, all these people coming to hear God's word from Christ. Well, verse 31, no, have a look. Uh, they haven't got excited. They've got other things on their mind. Yet again, it's the food, it's the vegan sausage rolls from Greg's again. Here, Jesus, eat your sausage roll. Get that down you. Have a bite to eat. They're so blind. They're so blind at this point, so caught up with the things of this world, they don't actually see what's going on here, what's happening here. Namely, it's harvest time. It's harvest time. In verses 35 to 38, for the sake of time, we'll not read them out again, but even a tiny like me can understand what Jesus is saying here in verses 35 to 38. Jesus is not talking here about crops being harvested here. No. The harvesters he's talking about are gathering in, not crops, but people, gathering people into God's kingdom. For after all, that is what Christ has come to do. Jesus is harvesting people for the kingdom of God. And he's saying to the disciples here, as they're eating their sausage roll, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. And just as he's saying this, have a look, the crowd of Samaritans repent. These outcasts, despised by so many, are now coming to faith in Christ, having repented. Verse 39, they've come to believe. They believe now just like the woman at the well has come to saving faith in Christ. They've believed the words of Jesus. Yet those disciples have taken their eye off the ball. They are there in that village and just see it as a pit stop to get about to eat. But this Samaritan woman, however, 
who had no theological training whatsoever, who's only been a Christian for a very short time, well, even she is already sowing and reaping and leading the people of the Silksworth-type village all the way to Jesus. Lift up your eyes, says Jesus. It's harvest time. Well, I told you earlier about my friend Shelley, who lives in Silksworth, Chinese lady, when she came to faith as a student. Well, Shelley, for this past year, year and a half, she'd been reading the Bible every morning at 6 a.m. via Zoom with an asylum seeker lady here in Sundon. And Shelley read with her all through the COVID pandemic, and she still met with her all through that every day. And she would even meet with her before she had to get her daughter to school and go to work herself, all the other important things we all have to do. Well, two weeks ago, that lady she read the Bible with got baptized, having put her trust in Jesus. You see, Shelley read that Bible with her all through the lockdowns. She recognized that we haven't been living in COVID times. Shelley recognized we're living in harvest time, the time when Christ is gathering in outcasts from across the world into his kingdom. Now, Andrew had said to me, he invited me here, he said, just preach on whatever you would like to preach on. And I've never preached on John 4 before, but I read it a few weeks ago, and it's been on my heart and my mind. I didn't realize that, I only realized this on Friday, today, October the 3rd, as fate would have it, is actually officially the first day of harvest, the harvest festival here in the UK, centuries-old tradition. Now, some churches in Sunderland today, they will be marking the first day of harvest by you know, bringing up food to the front and giving thanks to God for all that he provides for us. You're probably not doing that because of some sort of COVID regulation, health and safety or something. But we don't actually need to gather the food at the front for the first day of harvest day. We don't need to do that at all. All we need to do is look around the room today and see the harvest gathered here at Calvary Church here in Silksworth. Because Christ has gathered all of us in from the harvest. All of us. And I don't know you very well, but we were all outcasts. All of us as believers in Christ. We're all at one point outcasts with murky pasts and all sorts of sin in our lives. And yet Christ has gathered us in from the harvest field. And we are outcasts who now have a story to tell of how we encountered the Lord Jesus Christ. Just like that Samaritan woman did. And so... As we go into tomorrow and sit across from our colleagues at work and pick up the kids from school and so on and go into university, well, let's remember, friends, Jesus has come for the outcasts, the Muslim, the atheist, the blasphemer, the oddball in the office, the horrible boss. He's come seeking them. So let's prayerfully and boldly seek to tell them the good news of Christ's offer of eternal satisfaction. For what they're living for now will never satisfy their greatest need. Let's not be like the disciples here in our story. They're fixated on temporary things. They don't see the big picture. They don't see what's going on. Let's instead heed the words of Jesus who tells us all today, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Let's pray as we go into this week that we would do just that. Let's pray, shall we? Oh, Father God, thank you. We praise you for your grace and mercy in gathering us in from the harvest. Thank you as outcasts, sinners cut off from you, 
you graciously brought us in. Thank you for those who witnessed to us. Thank you for those who prayed for us. Thank you that you brought us to saving faith in Christ. Lord, like that Samaritan woman who came to saving faith, who knew so little but yet went and told everybody the good news. Help us be like that. Help us go into this week to see the times we're living in. Help us view our colleagues and those around us with different eyes. Help us see their first. Help us see their, their want, their looking. Help us point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Please help us be prayerful and bold in this. It's harvest time. It's time to spread your word. It's time to tell these people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us lift up our eyes this week. And we ask it in Jesus' name for his glory. Amen.